Chapter Twelve, Part Two of Constance Dunlap by Arthur B. Reeve. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fugitives Continued. Constance was startled one evening, just as she was going out to meet Graham and report on the progress of the day, at hearing a knock at her door. She opened it. I suppose you think I am your nemesis, introduced Drummond as he stepped in, veiling the keenness of his search by an attempt to be familiar. She had more than half expected it. She said nothing, but her coldness was plainly one of interrogation. "'A case has been placed in my hands by some Western clients of ours,' he said by way of swaggering explanation, "'of an embezzler who is hiding in New York. It required no great reasoning power to decide that the man's trail would sooner or later cross Wall Street. I believe it has done so. Not directly, but indirectly.' The trail, I think, has brought me back to the proverbial point of chercher la femme. I am delighted, he dwelt on the word, to see what would be its effect, to see, in the Graham Mackenzie case, my old friend, Constance Dunlap. So, she replied quietly, you suspect me now. I suppose I am Graham Mackenzie. No, Drummond replied dubiously, you are not Graham Mackenzie, of course. You may be Mrs. Graham Mackenzie, for all I know. "'But I believe you are the receiver of Graham Mackenzie's stolen goods.' "'You do,' she answered calmly. "'That remains for you to prove. "'Why do you believe it? "'Is it because you are ready to believe anything of me?' "'I have noticed that you are more active downtown, then.' "'Oh, it is because I speculate. "'Have I no means of my own?' she asked pointedly. "'Where is he? "'Not here, I know. "'But where?' insinuated Drummond, with a knowing look. "'Am I my brother's keeper?' she laughed merrily. "'Come now.' Who is this wonderful Graham Mackenzie? First show me that I know him. You know the rule in a murder case. You must prove the corpus delecti. Drummond was furious. She was so baffling. That was his weak point, and she had picked it out infallibly. Whatever his suspicions, he had been able to prove nothing, though he suspected much in the buying and selling of Constance. A week of bitterness, a constant struggle against the wiles of one of the most subtle sleuths, followed avoiding hidden traps that beset her on every side. Was this to be the end of it? Was Drummond's heroic effort to entangle her to succeed at last? She felt that a watch of the most extraordinary kind was set on her, an invisible net woven about her. Eyes that never slept were upon her. There was no minute in her regular haunts that she was not guarded. She knew it, though she could not see it. It was a war of subtle wits. Yet from the beginning Constance was the winner of every move. She was on her mettle. They would not, she determined, find Graham through her. Days passed, and the detective still had no sign of the missing man. It seemed hopeless, but, like all good detectives, Drummond knew from experience that a clue might come to the surface when it was least expected. Constance, on her part, never relaxed. One day it was a young woman dressed in most inconspicuous style, who followed close behind her, a woman's shadow, one of the shrewdest in the city. A tenant moved into the apartment across the hall from Constance, and another hired an apartment in the next house across the court. There was constant espionage. She seemed to sense it. The newcomer was very neighborly, explaining that her husband was a traveling salesman and that she was alone for weeks at a time. The lines tightened. The next-door neighbor always seemed to be around at mail time, trying to get a look at the postmarks on the Dunlap letters. She had an excuse in the number of letters to herself. 
"'Orders from my husband,' she would smile. "'He gets lots of them personally here.' All their ingenuity went for naught. Constance was not to be caught that way. They tried new tricks. If it was a journey she took, someone went with her, whom she had to shake off sooner or later. There were visits of peddlers, gasmen, electric light, and telephone men. They were all detectives also, always seeking a chance to make a search that might reveal her secret. The janitor who collected the waste paper found that it had a ready sale at a high price. Every stratagem that Drummond's astute mind could devise was called into play. But nothing, not a scrap of new evidence, did they find. Yet all the time Constance was in direct communication with Mackenzie. Graham, in his enforced idleness, was more deeply in love with Constance now than ever. He had eyes for nothing else. Even his fortunes would have been disregarded had he not felt that to do that would have been the surest way to condemn himself before her. They had cut out the evening trips now for fear of recognition. She was working faithfully. Already she had cleaned up something like $50,000 on the turnover of the stuff he had stolen. Another week and it would be some thousands more. Yet the strain was beginning to show. Oh, Graham, she cried one night after she had a particularly hard time in shaking Drummond's shadows in order to make her unconventional visit to him. Graham, I am so tired of it all. Tired. He was about to pour out what was in his own heart when she resumed. It's the lonesomeness of it. We are having success. But what is success alone? Yes, he echoed, thinking of his feeling that night when she had left him at the elevator, of the feeling now every moment of the time she was away from him. Yes, alone. With the utmost difficulty he restrained the wildly surging emotions within him. He could not know with what effort Constance held her poise so admirably, keeping always that barrier of reserve beyond which, now and then, he caught a glimpse. Let us cut out and bury ourselves in Europe, he urged. No, she replied firmly. Wait, I have a plan. Wait. We could never get away. They would find us and extradite us surely. She was coming out of a broker's office one day after the close of the market, only to run full tilt into Drummond, who had been waiting for her, cat-like. Evidently he had a purpose. "'You will be interested to know,' remarked the detective, watching her narrowly, "'that District Attorney Wickham, who had the case in charge out there, is in New York, with the President of the Central Western Trust.' "'Yes,' she said noncommittally. "'I told them I was on the trail, through a woman, and they have come out here to aid me.' Why had he told her that? Was it to put her on her guard, or was it in a spirit of bravado? She could not think so. It was not his style to bluster at this stage of the game. No, there was a deep-laid purpose. He expected her to make some move to extricate herself that would display her hand and betray all. It was clever, and a less clever person than Constance would have fallen before the onslaught. Constance was thinking rapidly, as he told her where and how the new pursuers were active. Here, she felt, was the crisis, her opportunity. Scarcely had Drummond gone than she, too, was hurrying down the street on her way to see Mackenzie's pursuers face to face. She found Wickham registered at the Prince Henry, a new hotel, and sent up her card. A few moments later he received her, with considerable restraint, as if he knew about her and had not expected so soon to have to show his own hand. "'I understand,' she began quickly, that you have come to New York because Mr. Drummond claims to be able to clear up the Graham Mackenzie case. Yes, he replied quizzically. Perhaps, she continued, 
coming nearer to the point of her self-imposed mission, perhaps there may be some other way to settle this case than through Mr. Drummond. We might hold you, he shot out quickly. No, she replied, you have nothing on me. And as for Mr. Mackenzie, I understand you don't even know where he is, whether he is in New York, London, Paris, or Berlin, or whether he may not go from one city to another at any moment you take open action. Wickham bit his lip. He knew she was right. Even yet, the case hung on the most slender threads. I have been wondering, she continued, if there is not some way in which this thing can be compromised. Never, exclaimed Wickham positively. He must return the whole sum with interest to date. Then, and only then, can we consider his plea for clemency. You would consider it? she asked keenly. Of course, we would have to consider it. Voluntary surrender and reparation would be something like turning state's witness against himself. Constance said nothing. Can you do it? he asked, watching craftily, to see whether she might not drop a hint that might prove valuable. I know those who might try, she answered, catching the look. Wickham changed. What if we should get him without your aid? he blustered. Try, she shrugged. Arguments and threats were of no avail with her. She would say nothing more definite. She was obdurate. You must leave it all to me, she repeated. I would not betray him. You cannot prove anything on me. Bring the stuff up here yourself, then, he insinuated. But I don't trust you either, she replied frankly. The two faced each other. Constance knew in her heart that it was going to be a battle royal with this man, that now she had taken a step even so far in the open it was every one for himself, and the devil take the hindmost. I can't help it, he concluded. Those are the terms. It's as far as I can trust a, a thief. But I will keep my word, she said quietly. When you prove to me that you are absolutely on the level, that Mackenzie can make restitution in full with interest, and in return be left as free a man as he is at this moment, why, I can have him give up. Mrs. Dunlap, said Wickham with an air of finality, I will make one concession. I will adopt any method of restitution he may prefer, but it must be by direct dealing between Mackenzie and myself, with Drummond present, as well as Mr. Taylor, president of the trust company, who is now also in New York. That is my ultimatum. Good afternoon. Constance left the room with flushed face and eyes that glinted with determination. Over and over she thought out methods to accomplish what she had planned. When they complied with all the conditions that would safeguard Mackenzie, she had determined to act. But Graham must be master of the situation. Cautiously she went through her usual elaborate precautions to shake off any shadows that might be following her, and an hour later found her with Mackenzie. "'What has happened?' he asked eagerly, surprised at her early visit. Briefly she ran over the events of the afternoon. "'Would you be willing,' she asked, "'to go to District Attorney Wickham, hand over the half-million with, say, twelve thousand dollars interest, in return for freedom?' Graham looked at Constance a moment, doubtfully. "'I would not do that,' he measured slowly. "'How do I know what they will do, the moment they get me in their power? No, almost, I would say, that I would not go there under any guarantee they might give.' I do not trust them. The indictment must be dismissed first. But they won't do that. The ultimatum was personal restitution. Constance was faced by an apparently insurmountable dilemma. She saw and agreed with the reasonableness of Graham's position. But there was the opposition and obstinacy of Wickham, the bitterness and unscrupulousness of Drummond. Here was a tremendous problem. How was she to meet it? For perhaps half an hour they sat in silence. 
one plan after another she rejected suddenly an idea occurred to her somewhere in a bank she had seen a method which might meet the difficulty tomorrow i will arrange it to suit both of you she cried confidently how he asked trust it all to me she appealed all replied graham rising and standing before her all i will do anything you say he was about to take her hand but she rose no graham not now there is work the crisis no i must go trust me it was not until noon of the next day that he saw constance again there was an air of suppressed excitement about her as she entered the apartment and placed on a table before him a small oblong box of black enameled metal beneath which was a roll of paper above was another somewhat similar box with another roll of paper constance attached the instrument to the telephone an enigmatic conversation followed and she hung up the receiver a few minutes later she took the stylus that was in the lower box hastily across the blank paper she wrote the words we are ready mackenzie was too fascinated to ask questions suddenly out of the corner of his eye he saw something in the upper box move as if of itself it was a similar self-inking stylus watch exclaimed constance do you get this wrote the spirit hand perfectly she scrawled in turn go ahead as you promised the upper stylus was now moving freely at the ends of its two rigid arms counterparts of those holding the lower stylus we promise it wrote that in consideration of the return what is it interrupted graham as the meaning of the words even now began to dawn on him a tell autograph she replied simply a long-distance rider which i have had installed over a leased wire from the hotel room of wickham to meet the demands of you two with it you write over wires just as with the telephone you talk over wires it is as though you took one of the old pantographs split it in half and had each half connected only by telephone wires while you write on this transmitter their receiver records for them what you write look of five hundred thousand dollars it continued to write in cash stocks and bonds with interest to date all proceedings against graham mackenzie will be dropped and the indictment quashed marshall taylor president central western trust maxim wickham district attorney riley drummond detective it's even broader than i had hoped cried constance in delight does that satisfy you graham yes he murmured not through hesitation but from the suddenness and surprise of the thing then sign this she wrote quickly in consideration of the dropping of all charges against me i agree to tell the number and location of the safe deposit box in new york where the stocks and bonds i possess are located and to hand over a key and written order to the same i now agree immediately to pay by check the balance of the half million including interest she stepped aside from the machine with a tremor of eagerness he seized the stylus and underneath what she had written wrote boldly the name graham mackenzie next constance herself took the stylus place in the telautograph a blank check she wrote he will write in the name of the bank the amount and the signature she did the same now graham sign this check on the universal bank as lawrence macy she said writing in the amount mechanically he took the stylus his fingers trembled as he held it but with an effort he controlled himself it was too weird too uncanny to be true here he was without stirring forth from the security of his hiding-place there were his pursuers in their hotel with the precautions taken by constance neither party knew where the other was yet they were in instant touch 
not by the ear alone, but by handwriting itself. He placed the stylus on the paper. She had already written in the number of the check, the date, the bank, the amount, and the payee, Marshall Taylor. Hastily, Graham signed it, as though in fear that they might rescind their action before he could finish. Now, the securities, she said. I have withdrawn already the amount we have made trading. It is a substantial sum. Write out an order to the safe deposit company to deliver the key and the rest of the contents of the box to Taylor. I have fixed it with them after a special interview this morning. They understand. Again, Graham wrote feverishly. I, we are entirely free from prosecution of any kind, he asked eagerly. Yes, Constance murmured, with just a catch in her throat, as now that the excitement was over, she realized that he was free, independent of her again. The tell-autograph had stopped. No, it was starting again. Had there been a slip? Was the dream at last to turn to ashes? They watched anxiously. Mrs. Dunlap, the words unfolded. I take my hat off to you. You have put it across again, Drummond. Constance read it with a sense of overwhelming relief. It was a magnanimous thing in Drummond. Almost she forgave him for many of the bitter hours he had caused in the discharge of his duty. As they looked at the writing, they realized its import. The detective had abandoned the long search. It was as though he had put his OK on the agreement. "'We are no longer fugitives!' exclaimed Graham, drawing in a breath that told of the weight lifted from him. For an instant he looked down into her upturned face and read the conflict that was going on in her. She did not turn away, as she had before. It flashed over him that once, not long ago, she had talked in a moment of confidence of the loneliness she had felt since she had embarked as the rescuer of amateur criminals. Graham bent down and took her hand, as he had the first night when they had entered their strange partnership. "'Never, never can I begin to pay you what I owe,' he said huskily, his face near hers. He felt her warm breath almost on his cheek, saw the quick color come into her face, her breast rise and fall with suppressed emotion. Their eyes met. "'You need not pay,' she whispered. "'I am yours.'" End of Chapter 12 End of Constance Dunlap by Arthur B. Reeve